Time once again for the Built by Bama online podcast. Senior analyst for BOL, Travis Fryer, back with you here on the pod, which you can access at any of your favorite outlets for podcast content. We certainly hope in doing so you'll subscribe to the Built by Bama online podcast and also leave us a review if you don't mind. That would certainly help us out and we would appreciate it greatly. Joined on this edition of the Built by Bama online pod by my colleague there at BamaOnline.com, Charlie Potter, team insider, beat reporter, you name it, does an outstanding job covering the Alabama Crimson Tide on a daily basis for the 247sports.com network. Charlie, one precious weekend left between now and the start of another fall camp at the University of Alabama. I know it's it's crazy. It also seems like um, it's taken a while to get here. I guess the summers went by pretty slow, which is always a good thing, but I'm looking forward to you know, getting back to practice and, and interviews and stuff. Um, I've, this week I'll be exhausting my the last bit of off-season series that I have with the top 25 most important players, and then a weekly breakdown of opponents. So I'll be I'll be kind of glad to write about something new and some actual football for once. Yeah, and I guess you're down to the final two, right, on that most important player list for Alabama during the upcoming season. I saw Xavier McKinney. I don't want to spoil anything here. I know it's like last chance you. I'm spoiling things. But uh, Xavier McKinney uh, in that three-hole, I, I think some people may look at that as a bit of a surprise. But as you broke it down, if you really consider all the different things Xavier McKinney's going to be asked to provide for this defense, not only in terms of his roles in the various packages, but the intangibles as well, makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and uh, I, I do think a lot of people kind of scratch their head a little bit that a player like Jerry Judy or Raekwon Davis or Jedrick Wills isn't ranked a little bit higher than Xavier. But just basing it off of what we saw and what we heard in the spring, um, you know, Nick Saban talked a lot about his concerns about the depth of the safety position, and you know, the the whole basis of this rankings and this whole series is basically what would happen or how important is this player to the team if he were to go down with an injury and I don't know what Alabama would do from a safety perspective uh, if Xavier McKinney went down and he wears a lot of hats uh, you mentioned in the different packages he can slide down to money um, and he's the signal caller back there he's going to be with Deontay Thompson gone so uh, for me I might be a little higher on Xavier than than a lot of people or I don't want to say a lot I think people toward the end of the season really started to to see what he was able to do but I think it says a lot that when you look at that podium uh, after the Orange Bowl and the national championship game loss the representative of that defense was Xavier McKinney both times and uh, yeah he's a guy I think this defense is going to rely heavily on and yeah we are getting to the top two I don't think it's very hard to figure out who the top two are but I guess I'll leave people guessing to, to figure out which order they're in. Yeah, I think we're pretty much down to Skylar DeLong and Joseph Bulovis, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it may we laugh, but it, it may turn out to to be uh, uh, critical uh, for Alabama at some point during the season that uh, we see some improvement in some various areas of kicking the football in 2019. But speaking of which, I guess we're also wrapping up the preseason awards watch list. Uh, if you want to sort of measure how far Alabama has come as a program, especially in the last 10 to 12 years under Nick Saban, 
it's it's just amazing how many different guys on this roster. And we saw it last week at SEC Media Days with all the different players that made all SEC teams in some form or fashion uh, that that are up for these these national awards. I guess there's one area we t- just talked about though that that maybe isn't as populated with with Alabama players. Yeah, tomorrow they're going to release the Lou Groza and Ray Guy awards, and those go for um, kickers and punters, respectively. And, um, yeah, I usually get tipped off a little bit of who's going to be on these these lists, and I don't think Alabama is expecting anyone to represent them on those. And, and that's to be expected. I don't think that's going to shock any Alabama fan that's paid attention to this program last year or the last you know, five, six, seven years. But uh, as, as far as the rest of the awards go, Alabama's been really well represented. The only one they haven't had one on is the Remington Trophy, which goes to the nation's top center. And I think that's to be expected just because there's some fluidity in that. Uh, we've talked at length, I feel like, about how many options Alabama has on its offensive line, especially in the interior. So that could change. But you talk just about the, the talent and the depth uh, on this team. You look at the Blitnikoff Award, which goes to the nation's top receiver. They have three players there. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and Jalen Waddell. Uh, Devontae Smith was left off of that, and some people uh, were scratching their head on that. Uh, the Buckus Award has three linebackers in Fernie Jennings, Terrell Lewis, and Dylan Moses. Uh, the Bronco Nagurski Trophy, which goes to the college football's best defensive player. Um, it was released today, and Alabama had four players on that list, So, which which was the most in the nation. So it's, um, you know, it, it's... When it comes to these watch lists, you know it starts the week of media days and then it goes for two weeks. And you basically, except for the day when they have specialists, have to pencil in an Alabama player somewhere when they release all these teams. And you talked about the Bolitnikoff Award, and it's appropriate because today on the Built by Bama online podcast, we're going to go in depth with the wide receiver position and sort of combine the tight end situation uh, with that wide receiver position as well. And you know, Charlie, last week at SEC Media Days, had an opportunity to sit down uh, with Jerry Judy right here on this podcast. And one of the questions I asked him, based on the returning production, when you talk about a top four who you just outlined, three of those guys, preseason watch list for the Blitnikoff Award in 2019, throw Devontae Smith in there, and you've got four wide receivers who combined to catch 201 passes last year for 3,597 yards and 32 touchdowns back in the fold for quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. John Mechie comes in, impressive in the spring, MVP of the 8A game for the early enrollee. And I asked Jerry Judy point blank, uh, are there going to be enough footballs for all these guys? And uh, it, it really is going to be fascinating, I guess, to watch play out. But at the end of the day, does it still all start with number four, in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, he was brought to media days. He's kind of another representative of the offense, and you expect that as an award winner, winning the Blitnikoff Award last year. I think he's going to be the front runner to do it again. Um, it is going to be interesting to see how they continue to um, – Divvy up the passes. Uh, you don't have a guy like Irv Smith who's going to eat, eat a big chunk of that, but you're going to want to get guys like Miller Forrestal, Cameron Latou, and those running backs involved as well, and some of these young receivers. But I think if, if Alabama wants to just you know roll out there with you know four receivers and maybe throw Forrestal in there, tight end or H back, uh, they can do that and, and pick apart defenses all day long. But uh, I do think it starts with Jerry Judy, and he's a guy that had a phenomenal season last year, broke a lot of records, a lot of school records. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people 
um, you know, paid attention to that. He's a guy that some people even had as the number one overall pick in their mock drafts for the 2020 draft. He's going to be eligible for that as a junior. But he's a guy that, um, you know, I heard his interview with you and talking about how they have to be unselfish. But he's a guy that's also, you know, not settling for what happened last year. Um, you know, he worked a lot in this offseason. He spent some time with Antonio Brown, the all-pro receiver who's now with the Oakland Raiders, working out and training with him and just picking his brain of how to get better and improve his craft each and every day. And um, I think, you know, he's entering this season pretty confident and ready to prove that if, you know, they're going to break that trend, I think, what was it, 1996 when Keyshawn Johnson was drafted number one overall yeah, by the Jets? The if he's going to break that streak, um, you know, he's going to have to continue to build on what he was able to do last year, which is an impressive feat in and of itself. But, He's not lacking confidence. One of the funniest um, you know, moments from Media Days was whenever um, uh, someone asked him where he ranks himself among what people consider to be the best wide receivers of the Nick Saban era, which is uh, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, and now Jerry Judy. He's in that same breath. And he just said from stat-wise, he would put Amari Cooper number one, which I think a lot of people would as well. And he has himself number two with Calvin Ridley three and, and Julio Jones four. But he was very, very quick to say, but realistically, and I think that's the key word there, you know, the best receiver is Julio, jo Julio Jones. And then he would rank Amari Cooper second, Calvin Ridley third, and then himself fourth. So um, he knows that stat-wise he's there, but he has a lot to do in terms of just overall career and his, his success at the next level uh, to get to where he wants to be. The thing that amazed me about Jerry Judy the most last year was that he was coming off a true freshman campaign in which he averaged 18.9 yards per catch. And he did it on just 14 receptions, 14 <laughs> catches, 264, comes out to 18.9. Well, you think, well, yeah, that's impressive, but it was on a limited number of touches. There's no way in a number one type role a year later that he would exceed his yards per catch average from the year in which he, he got sort of sporadic uh, opportunities uh, as a true freshman. He did, Charlie. He went from 18.9 yards per catch in 2017 to 19.3 in 2018 on 68 catches. I don't know if people appreciate how crazy that number is. On 68 catches, he produced 1,315 receiving yards, uh, 14 touchdowns. So once every, what, five catches, he was getting in the end zone. Um, 14 touchdowns uh, on the season and all. I guess what you wonder now, and you mentioned Amari Cooper, and when you look at the UA uh, record book still, even with the year that Jerry Judy had, in 2018, Amari owns still a lot of it. Uh, is it is it fathomable that that Judy, with the expectation that this is it for him, can he have a season in which he can sort of come into contact maybe more with Amari on some of these career records? You know, the 14 touchdowns a year ago, uh, they were just a couple of short. And here's the thing about Amari. Amari's 2014 was just absolute nuts. I mean, it was once in a lifetime, once in a program history type stuff for Amari Cooper. 124 catches in 2014 for 1,727 yards. Um, as far as touchdown receptions go, 
Uh, Amari was, I believe, 16 for the season that year. Uh, you had last year with with Jerry Judy with 14 right there. Um, it's going to take an Amari-type 2014 season. I guess the question is, are there too many guys around Jerry Judy that he's not going to get the same type of opportunities? Uh, Amari in 2014, he was the guy. I mean, first, foremost, second, whatever, third. Um, but but this guy shows you on on not limited opportunities because 68 catches is a nice number. But can you envision another year in which Jerry Judy can be at this 18, 19, 20 yards per catch level? It's tough, but I think the one thing that he has in his favors, well, it's a couple things. It's one, his playmaking ability and speed is, and his elusiveness. But uh, when he's breaking off a quick slant, uh, he has a quarterback that can hit him and try to allow him to get out and make plays. And on a quick play like that, just score a 50, 60 yard touchdown. And I think that's really advantageous for him because it is going to be tough to to get to that yardage number. Uh, that Amari had, I don't think he's going to get anywhere close to 124 receptions. But I think the touchdown record is definitely something that he can do just because we've seen, it seemed like last year, uh, he and Henry Ruggs, uh, and Henry Ruggs when he was a freshman as well, just seemed like they were scoring touchdowns um, and multiple touchdowns every game. So I, I do think that it's going to be tough for him to get to a lot of those. But with Tua and what he's able to do and the chemistry he has with those receivers, leading them into big playability, uh, I think that's where Jerry Judy can do the most damage. But um, you mentioned and Marty Cooper was the guy in 2014. Um, you know, He was easily the best receiver in the country. It wasn't even uh, a debate. And he was a candidate for the Heisman Trophy because of what he was able to do on the field. And uh, I think that with guys like Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and all the other guys as well, it's just going to be tough to, to get to those other numbers. But I think 16 touchdowns, if not more, could be something that he could do this year. Yeah, Amari with 31 career touchdown receptions. So for Judy to get to that number after this season, he'll need 15 to tie Amari's career total. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at all. Yardage wise, going to be tough because Amari's up there, uh, 3,400 plus. Uh, Judy goes into the season with 1,579. So, I mean, we're talking about a 1,900 yard receiving season for Jerry Judy to get to that. That's going to be difficult with all the other options uh, that Tuatanga Vialoa has at his disposal. Let's keep it moving with these wide receivers. Uh, Jalen Waddle coming off a fantastic true freshman season. I wouldn't say it was a shocking performance because there was certainly buzz around Jalen Waddle, Charlie going into last season, but I still don't know if anybody expected Jalen Waddle to end up second on the team and receiving yards, uh, to find the end zone as often and as, as he did. And that's before we get into the punt return aspect of things with the rising sophomore. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that as soon as he stepped on campus, there was some buzz about him and, and Patrick Sutan both. And they both ended up playing in every game and, and being freshman All-Americans. But, um, you know, he, he's a guy that I, I agree. You know, I, I think just hearing his name and, and everything that was said about him before the season started, I expected some big things. Um, but with Judy Ruggs and Smith all returning and stepping into the starting roles, I don't think you really expected him to do what he did, but, uh, looking at his stats, he had 45 receptions for 848 yards and seven touchdowns. We talked about Jerry Judy's, um, you know, average per catch, um, 
Waddle was at 18.84. So just as impressive, just a few yards or a few takes off of that. And yeah, he's a guy that it's, it seems like we say the same thing about these receivers because they are kind of similar in that, you know, you, you take Tua and he just dumps off a short pass and Jalen Waddle's gone to the end zone. You know, we saw it in the SEC championship game when Jalen Hurts was a quarterback. Um, you know, his, his electric athletic ability um, really sets him apart. Uh, from other receivers, maybe not so much other receivers on his own team, but other receivers across the league. And uh, I think he's going to be in for a big year. Um, we'll see what happens from the punt return aspect because you know we saw a lot of teams just not kick the football to him, which was a good decision. Uh, but you know he's a he's a guy that as soon as he gets his hands on the football, um, you know you better take a great angle because if not, he's going to beat you to the end zone before you know it. How many of these guys, when you look at long receptions for Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs III, um, Devontae Smith, and Judy had a long reception last year of 81 yards, Waddle had a long of 94 yards, Ruggs a long of 57, Devontae Smith a long of 57 as well. How many of those do you think came off that slant? off RPO action because I know Waddles did, you know, Mac Jones had one touchdown pass last year. I believe it was in the Louisiana Lafayette game and it was a 94 yarder on a slant pretty much to, to Jalen Waddle. Uh, we saw Judy feast on that. Um, I guess the beauty of these guys, especially Waddle and, and, and Judy and, uh, primarily I would say is what they're capable of doing after the catch um, it, it's not just a, a vertical passing game by any means. Uh, and, and certainly Tua Tonga Vailoa deserves credit for uh, being the distributor that he is. Uh, Jalen Waddle, you know, it was interesting in, in the spring game because <laughs> here's a guy that I think could be a number one receiver, Charlie, at about 90% of the programs out there. He's working with the, the second team offense on A Day. You know, that, how, many, how many places would you see that? Yeah, I mean that that's not fair. I think that's also you know Nick Saban trying to even things up and to give the second team offense a little bit of a chance and some some experience over there. Uh, because if you load all four of them up on one offense, then um, oh, yeah, yeah. that's not doing his his defense any favors at all. But you, know, you mentioned you know what percentage it was with the um, you know, long pass plays. I I would say it's at least half. Um, on yeah. those quick slants or dump off passes, and those guys just you know working their magic and get into the end zone, and and that's just what makes them so special. I know we talk a lot about uh, the top four guys, and deservedly so. And I, I forget where I read it. I read it earlier this summer, and I hate that I don't remember where it was to give correct attribution. But someone, it was one of the draft analysts, did this story on Alabama's top four wide receivers, and they basically compared. Alabama's top four to the top four receivers on every NFL team and debated on whether they would trade those NFL receivers for Alabama's. And there are 32 NFL teams. And I believe that they were willing to trade on the spot for 20 of those receiving course to give Alabama's receivers to an NFL team because they were better than what they had. And it just speaks volumes to, to the talent, um, to the way these guys have developed and bought in and to the way that they perform performed on the field. And, um, you know, a lot is said about Jerry Judy, or deservedly so, but you know, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, and Devontae Smith especially uh, deserve as much credit as well because um, if it weren't for those guys, we wouldn't be talking about the, the great season that Jerry Judy had because teams would be starting to double-team 
him. But they can't do that with those other three guys out on the field because they can you know, take that quick slant head to the end zone just as quick as Jerry Judy can. So, um, you know, a plethora of riches at the position. And we haven't even gotten into the promising young players behind those guys yet. No doubt. And absolutely one benefits the other because you want to put a safety over the top of Jerry Judy? I would. I mean, who wouldn't at this point? Well, okay, you're leaving man coverage and potentially a couple other spots with the likes of Jalen Waddell. And also the next guy we'll talk about, Henry Ruggs III. I'm not going to say he kind of went overlooked last year because he caught 46 balls for 741 yards and 11 touchdowns, which ranks tied for third all time in UA football history when you talk about a season touchdown reception total. Uh, that ties one of Amari Cooper's seasons, maybe his 2012 campaign, perhaps. But um, yeah, Henry Ruggs III, again, another guy in another place. Uh, we're probably hearing even more about Henry Ruggs III, but here's what I like about Ruggs. Henry Ruggs III, he's the fastest guy on the team, or at least that's what Jerry Judy told me last week in, in Birmingham. He might be the toughest receiver. Alabama has as well. And I'm not just talking about his ability to take punishment. Watch Henry Ruggs as a blocker, something that goes overlooked, as we know, at, at that position, especially when you're as dynamic as Alabama is. I watch Henry Ruggs the third, Charlie, and I see a guy that I think could play corner. I think he could play defense. I think, you know, you watch him on special teams, and perhaps we're going to see him in that kickoff return role this year with Josh Jacobs gone. But this is a guy on kick coverage units last year that showed up a lot making tackles. I, I just love Henry Ruggs III as an all-around football player. Yeah, he, he kind of plays a little angry. Um, you know, that's not something you see a lot from from wide receivers. You think of guys like Hans Ward and, and players like that. And, and Henry Ruggs has a little of that to him as well. And I think that's a part of his game that gets overlooked. And you mentioned him as a player. He gets overlooked as well. And, and it's hard not to whenever you have a guy going out and winning the Blitnikoff Award and, you know, just barely, you know, bettering your production. I know Jerry was number one in, in every category, but, you know, Henry Ruggs had 11 touchdowns on only 46 receptions. I mean, that's that's a special, special player and, and a guy that can make a lot of plays in this offense. And his speed is, um, I think, his biggest attribute. Um, you know, you ask any player on this team, and it's starting to become old, to be honest. Uh, who's the fastest player? It seems like every time we get a receiver in that room, that's that comes up. And they're all going to say the same thing. They don't even hesitate. They say Henry Ruggs. Uh, they might throw Jalen Waddle's hat in there as a, a close second or maybe 1B, but it's always going to be Henry Ruggs. And um, it just goes to show that he has that track background. Uh, he uses that um, ability and his speed to his advantage. And, uh, you know, it's one of the fastest plays I've ever seen and didn't even count against Missouri, the, the long touchdown run he had. He got called back on a penalty, and I think he was clocked at running 23 or 24 miles an hour on that. So that just shows the the speed that he has. But, yeah, I mean, uh, what he does in the run game, what he does on special teams, he's not afraid to, you know, you know lower his head, lower his shoulder, and make a tackle on special teams. He just kind of plays that main streak. And, and I think that's something that you don't really see from a lot of receivers these days. Alabama's receivers are all pretty good at blocking, but I think Henry Ruggs kind of stands out a little bit in that regard. Devontae Smith, another guy who, if I read you his numbers from last season, following a year like 2011 at Alabama, you would have said that's the number one receiver on that team 
for that season. 42 catches, 693 yards, 16 and a half per catch, six touchdown grabs. Uh, that that doesn't really get you in the top four or five when you include Irv Smith Jr. in there. It does get you in the top five at five, but uh, a guy who battled through a hamstring issue, played in 14 games despite that setback, which came against Missouri there in mid-October. Uh, Devontae Smith, one of those guys like Ruggs, probably even more so with the emergence of Jalen Waddell. Uh, maybe not as memorable as you would expect in this point of his career, given what he did to cap his true freshman season in Atlanta. Um, but but Devontae Smith, the prospects for him, Charlie, going into his true junior season. It seems like when you read the, uh, the, the, the draft, mock drafts for 2020, kind of the guy that, that most expect to come back to Alabama for the 2020 season, but if he stays healthy, he's just as capable of these other guys of putting up huge numbers himself. Yeah, he is. And uh, I think Alabama will love that because I think if they stay healthy and continue on the trajectory they're on, guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs will be gone because they're both first round, um, you know, potential picks. But, you know, with Devontae, um, he is overlooked. He, he is the forgotten guy of this foursome because um, we mentioned the Blitnikoff Award watch list earlier, uh, and he was left off of that. You look at the All-SEC team, uh, which was voted on by um, by us, the media, at SEC Media Days, and there's a first, second, and third team offense, defense, and special teams, and Devontae Smith's not on that. And to be fair, um, when you're making the ballot, you only have eight selections for the wide receiver group, but um, you, you look at the rest of Alabama's offense, and the only players that didn't make the team were the center, who's likely going to be Chris Owens unless something happens, and then Devontae Smith. So, you know, the guy that, that caught the game-winning you know, touchdown pass uh, two years ago in the national championship game, he's the he's the forgotten guy in this. And uh, I think he can have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder going into this year. Uh, he has all the ability in the world and could do a lot of the same things these guys do. I think, you know, the top three receivers are, are very similar in what they do. They all have a little bit of different niche. Um Devontae Smith is kind of the guy that Tua Tonga-Vailoa loves to just lob a fade up on that left side of the end zone, and uh, that's kind of their specialty. They hooked up on the national championship on that. They did it multiple times, and they have a good chemistry together. But uh, when you talk about all the other receivers, he's the forgotten one of the bunch. But I think that uh, that could fuel him for some motivation this year. And if he goes out and has a big year, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him you know, leave after this year and enter the draft as one of the top receiving prospects in the nation. Yeah, the NFL might nick Devontae Smith a little bit in terms of bulk and strength, but what we said about Henry Ruggs III and that toughness, it applies to Devontae Smith as well, really for all of these guys that we've talked about uh, in, in trying to battle through that hamstring. And here's where depth, elite depth helps you too. You get guys with hamstrings, strains, pulls, you know, with the competition being what it is for opportunities in this wide receiver core, not that Devontae Smith requires that type of motivation, but they're not going to stay in there with Jeff Allen any much any longer than they have to. I mean, they're going to get back after it because it is such an intense uh, competition in that rotation. But like that about Devontae Smith, too. This is a guy who can take punishment. We've seen it in the past. Again, like these other guys. Um, and it kind of leads us into, we've, we talked about the, the fantastic four, if you will, 
for Alabama. What's next? Is it possible for a fifth guy to crash the party? And I'm going to guess if it is, based on what we saw in the spring, it might be a true freshman for the second straight year. Yeah, um, you want to say guys like Tyrell Shavers and Xavier Williams have kind of been buying their time in the in the program, and, and they've had pretty good spring games. Xavier Williams caught a touchdown pass, and I think Tyrell Shavers is a completely different receiver that they don't have on the field already with a big body at six foot six. But what we saw from John Mechie and kind of the things that were being said about him in the spring, uh, it wouldn't shock me at all to see him uh, get plenty of opportunities uh, this fall as one of those first guys off the bench. Uh, along with Waddle, and he's a guy that um, impressed in the scrimmages. You kind of heard his name early on, and then he went out and, and had a big game in the 8A game and was named 8A game MVP. And um, yeah, I made the mistake of, of asking about him in the post-game press conference, <laughs> and Nick Saban uh, talked about how we make everybody stars and, and everything like that. But I, what we saw from from John Mechie, I think, is is warranted. He's a guy I know he was going against that second team defense, and they're not like he's not going to be facing guys, or he wasn't facing guys like Xavier McKinney and Trayvon Diggs and Patrick Sertan. But um, it, it was just kind of the continuation of everything we had heard all spring long, and uh, we'll see if we can keep it up. Um, you know, it seems like he's been working hard. Uh, in the offseason, the summer program, and you know, they're going to be hitting the practice field next week, and we'll see if, if anything's changed. But, yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all to see him in that group. But he's going to have to fight off some of those older guys, guys that have waited their turn and are eager to get on the field as well. Yeah, and you mentioned Terrell Shavers, and I agree, six foot six, And I think the biggest obstacle for a big receiver, especially when you're in these drills – with loose-hipped individuals like Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs III, um, you know, is is developing sort of the footwork and the precise nature of route running. It's difficult when you're six six, man, to get in and out of breaks, uh, and especially when you're coming from the high school level, you're probably in need of some serious refinement and polish in that particular area of your game. And I think that was the case for Terrell Shavers for certainly his first year and into his second year, but we definitely saw improvement on that front. I thought with Terrell Shavers, we saw him in the spring game, very early lined up in the slot, made a nice play uh, for 16 yards across the middle, taken in a pass from Mac Jones. So that was a positive. Um, That kind of leads us into that mid rotation of Terrell Shavers and Xavier Williams and Slade Bolden. Who do you sort of anticipate in that group, Charlie, of of positioning themselves at least, if not for this year, certainly for 2020, uh, is is having an opportunity to move up in in the next month or two? Yeah, I think Shavers and and Williams kind of lead that pack for me. And and I already mentioned how Shavers is kind of completely different than any of the receivers they have on the roster. All the other ones are, you know, that six foot, six one. Um, you know, smaller receiver, and, and they have places in the NFL. That's that's most receivers out there. You're not going to have a, a Megatron or a Julio Jones out on the field. But I think you know, Shavers just kind of brings a different dynamic. And um, you know, one of the big things for him is you know, in the spring, uh, he kind of put his foot in the water a little bit in terms of trying out baseball as well. I think he kind of made the right decision just to kind of put all his focus on on um on football and um i think that that'll help him going forward you know we'll see what they do um you know this year um you know last year we really didn't see any of those young guys getting 
get on the field. And I think a lot of that has to do with their development. They've had another year in the program. We kind of saw them take those next steps uh, this spring. Guys like Shavers and Xavier Williams. I thought Slade Bolden did some good things as well. So with a new offensive coordinator, with a new receivers coach, we'll see if they start to kind of sub some of these guys out. But it, it's tough um, when you're a play caller and, and trying to get the ball around to these guys and they're hungry to get the football to take guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle out of the game and replace them with a younger player. But, um, you know, if it's going to happen, I think it's going to come from someone either Shavers, Williams, or, um, or John Mechie this fall. Yeah, and Slade Bolden's the kind of guy, he can help you in some ways that the fan base doesn't have the sort of access to 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 seeing, and that's, it's in practice. I mean, we saw Slade Bolden a couple times, right, last year in a scout team role, a former high school quarterback, able to emulate some of these uh, RPO and dual threat types that Alabama's going to face, and heck, we even saw Slade throw one of the longest passes of the A-Day game, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, he brings a, a different dynamic. He's an athletic player and a versatile player, and um, he's a guy that can, this obviously can line up in the slot, but they move everybody around as well. So uh, I don't think people should sleep on Slade Bolden. I know I didn't mention him as someone that could maybe um, you know crack that second rotation, but um, I think he is a player that they're high on. Uh, I think he's developed nicely, and he seems to be buying into his role, which is um, really undefined at this point. It just seems like he's willing to do whatever they need him to. Uh, I think he could, you know, cut out a role on special teams. Um, you know, wherever that is, he may not be a returner, but he's a guy that can get on the field that way. And then, you know, just with his willingness to do whatever. Uh, you know, they want and his versatility. He's a guy that could definitely see some playing time. So I'll be interested to see how they use him, how he continues to develop and, and see what the future has in store for him this fall. Yeah. Another guy and Bolden bounced around a little bit is an early enrollee. We saw him on the defensive side of the ball. And then last season we saw him on offense. Uh, Chadarius Townsend, you think we've seen the last of Chadarius Townsend at wide receiver? He spent the spring at running back, thought he did some nice things. Uh, with Charles Huff in that group. But uh, what about Townsend as a potential bounce back to the wide receiver position? Uh, you, you think he's finally found a home, though, at running back? Maybe. Um, is, you know, they have help now with Trey Sanders and Keelan Robinson on campus. Um, the, the big thing is you look at the roster, and he's actually listed as wide receiver. I want to say he was listed as a running back maybe in the spring, so he switched back to that. If not, they just haven't changed it at all. But – um, you know, he's a guy, yeah, that, that versatility, that fits him to, to a T. Um, he's played corner, he's played running back, he's played wide receiver. And uh, I think he has some uh, playmaking ability that they like. It's just, you know, it's, it's going to be a continuous theme with these receivers is there's just not a fo- enough footballs to go around. So, um, you know, running back is a little deeper um, than it was in the spring. So if they feel like they have good depth there, I could see him moving back over to receiver. If not this year, then especially next year when some of these older guys move on. Uh, but uh, I'll be definitely interested to see where he lines up because he was one of those experiments in the spring along with Cam Latu at, at tight end that he lasted from day one to day 15 uh, at running back. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where I think he'll be, honestly, because it, it seems like, um, you got to add a good depth everywhere. So I'll be interested to see that for sure next week. Yep. That'll be something to keep an eye on with Jadarius Townsend heading into his red shirt sophomore campaign at Alabama. You mentioned Cameron Latou and that'll take us into the tight ends. We want to get into some tight end talk, uh, as well. 
Uh, and it was a very interesting spring, to say the least. Irv Smith Jr. moves on to the National Football League. Hale Hentges, uh, his eligibility expired following the 2018 season. Not exactly a, a, a complete start over type situation at tight end, but definitely when you talk about production from the last year or two, a lot went out, if not most of the production went out the door. Uh, we saw Miller Forstall as what seemed to be the clear-cut number one guy at tight end. Charlie, did you come out of the spring thinking that, while maybe this guy won't be Irv Smith Jr. from a year ago, uh, there, there's potential at least for Miller Forrestall to to go a long way and fill in that receiving void left behind by Smith's departure. I think so. Um, you know, he's obviously the most experienced uh, tied in. And I think for Miller, uh, the big thing for him is he was coming off that ACL injury um, from two years ago. And, and that's something that he said he was still kind of dealing with last year. I talked to him, I believe it was at the Orange, no, before the National Championship game, because I talked to him about Trevor Lawrence, his former teammate. But, um, you know, it's something he just kind of dealt with. And, you know, some people say that, you know, it takes a, a year to heal um, physically from an ACL injury and two years to heal mentally. And he's at that two-year mark. I think he's going to be a lot better, um, a lot more comfortable. And uh, I think this is his year to, to, to leave that tight end group. Um, you know, we talked to him a little bit in the spring, and he said that, uh, you know, he's not Irv and he's not Hale. And he's a good mixture of both of them, but he's also just Miller. And, um, you know, he's a player that, you know, he can help out uh, from a blocking aspect, but he is a receiving threat. We saw that uh, from him as a true freshman. He came in with Jonah Williams and Jalen Hurts as an early enrollee. And, uh, you know, with, with the lack of depth behind him, they're going to need him to have a big year. And, you know, I'm not going out there and predicting he's going to have 40-plus catches like Irv did a year ago, but I certainly think that, um, you know, having a guy like Miller, who's been in the program for a while, um, helps kind of shoulder that load and, and shoulder the void that guys like Irv and Hale both left behind last, or this offseason. Yeah, I think Miller Forstall pre-injury was showing signs of being – a legitimate high-level SEC tight end. And you go back to his high school days. You mentioned the same high school that produced Trevor Lawrence, the starting quarterback for the Clemson Tigers. Watching his tape from high school, coming into Alabama, this is a guy who played more of a sort of wide receiver role uh, in high school uh, than kind of the classic, traditional, inline, uh, hand-in-the-ground tight end spot. So, from a receiving perspective, I think as long as Miller Forstall's healthy, there's a chance at least that he could approach the 40 reception mark. Who knows? Maybe go over it like Irv Smith Jr. did a year ago. The bigger question, though, Charlie, comes in who's next? Kedrick James has entered the transfer portal reportedly, um, was already looking at a four-game suspension to start the 2019 season. Uh, simply put, who's, who's next guy up? Yeah, I mean, that's a big blow, and it's not sounding like he's going to be, you know, withdrawing his name from the portal, Kedrick. Um, you know, and that is tough because he's an athletic uh, option at time. A lot of people labeled him as a freak athlete, and uh, that's a big blow. But you just look at the depth, and um, <laughs> there's there's not many guys there. You know, Major Tennyson is a, is a guy that's been in the program a little bit, um, you know, dealt with some injuries. And, um, you know, was, wasn't able to be a full go in the spring. And I think is someone that they look to, 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 to provide depth. But I think really the, the number one option, you know, entering fall camp outside of Miller Forstall is, is Cameron Latou. And, uh, you know, he's a former outside linebacker. 
Uh, you know, started his his Alabama career at linebacker in this spring, moved uh, because of the lack of depth that they had there and some guys being banged up. And I think it's going to be um, an experiment that we see be a permanent one. Um, uh, he has some experience from uh, his high school re- career um, playing tight end, and uh, I think that he showed some really good things in the spring. Um, you know, there's some you know positive rumblings about him from the scrimmages, and we saw him do some things in the A day game. And uh, I think that he's going to be maybe that that next guy up. If they were to start two tight ends, it wouldn't shock me at all to see Cameron Latou be the, the starter opposite of Miller Forrestal. But um, you know, outside of that, you're going to need Major Tennyson to step up. You know, Michael Parker, um, he's a redshirt freshman now, uh, can, needs to continue to add weight. The true freshman they had that came in over the summer in Jalil Billingsley, I think is someone that they could rely on uh, just in terms of rotation or in a depth perspective and maybe get on the field early. But he needs to add some weight. So um, yeah, outside of that, you're looking at some walk-ons, a guy like uh, Giles Amos. Um, he's a guy that uh, they could look at, but it's it's a lot of it, – it, it seems kind of just like a hodgepodge of guys because you have players that are coming over from different positions. You're getting walk-ons to move up in the rotation and, and guys that have never seen the field and guys like Michael Parker and Jaleel Billingsley. So uh, I think that tight end is definitely a position of concern when it comes to depth. Uh, I think earlier in the summer, Alabama would have liked to have added a, a graduate transfer, um, one that you know fit their system, and they weren't able to do that. We'll see if they they look that way. It doesn't sound like they're going to so far, but um, I think that the depth behind Forrestal is definitely a concern for Alabama. Yeah, Latou at six five two forty seven certainly fits the bill uh, of being able to hang in there. We talk so much about the receiving aspect of it, especially on the heels of a historic season, really, for Irv Smith Jr. in 2018. But it's still for those guys, first and foremost, about getting people blocked. You have to be able to handle that aspect of the job. Cameron Latou looks like uh, he can do that. I thought it was encouraging, too, in the spring game. We saw him catch the football. Uh, So while I'm not ready to go ahead and sort of anoint him as the next Gronk by any means. Uh, I think he is athletic enough to handle himself in the passing game, which as we've noted would seem to lean more towards Miller Forstall. Anyway, Jalil Billingsley coming in uh, as a true freshman, I guess with James moving on and the uncertainty that that's there. Once you get to really two through four and, that lineup opportunity perhaps for the true freshman to come in and help it'll be interesting to see physically you know is he already at that point of of being able to take on some of that load yeah that's the big thing and um you look at the the roster um they list him at 228 so he's going to need to add some weight there um but he's he's coming in confident i talked to, to him and some of the other summer enrollees before they got on campus and you know, he was keeping in close contact with Jeff Banks, the tight ends coach, and needing to know what he needed to do in terms of workouts and you know, trying to get as prepared as he could for whenever he arrived at Alabama. And, um, you know, I think he's he's someone that they kind of see that could be uh, uh, similar to Irv Smith. And um, I do think, though, you mentioned Latou and, and the blocking aspect. This is why guys like Billingsley need to add weight is we talk so much about Irv Smith and what he was able to do, and deservedly so. Um, you know, he had the best season by an Alabama tight end ever. Uh, and that's saying a lot with guys like Ozzie Newsom and, and O.J. Howard coming through this program. But what Hill Hinches was able to do on the field in his four years and what he brought to the table is just as important because when it comes to the run game, 
um, you know, that tight end is, is invaluable to what they're trying to do and, and setting the edge and things like that. So they're good. These guys, uh, these young guys like Latou and, and Bill Inslee and Tennyson are going to need to be able to prove that they can block and, and block effectively because Hell Hinches was able to do that all four years. Uh, he was a selfless player and uh, went out there and earned a, um, a team captain role for his teammates because of what he was able to do on the field and the way that he approached things. So that's just as important. And that's why when we're talking about these young players and looking at their weights and things like that, saying they need to add a couple pounds before the season gets here because they are going to have to fill that role as well. Yeah, I think Brian Robinson, not that I expect to see him just straight up play H-back, but his versatility, Charlie, and what they're able to do with him maybe in some two-back sets can help them cover for some depth issues or some concerns uh, about personnel that they'll be able to put on the field. I I think uh, that's a a spot where uh, a guy like that uh, we've seen in the past, not to say that Brian Robinson won't be a huge factor at running back because I think everyone absolutely expects that to be the case, but I think you can play him with Najee Harris. Um, with Trey Sanders potentially in some two back sets in which you line him up in some different ways. And at 225, 230, uh, he can certainly handle himself in, in some of the, the different blocking aspects of the position as well. It is the Built by Bama online podcast. Travis Ryer joined by Charlie Potter. Uh, Charlie, I think, I think we got it pretty much covered with the wide receivers and tight ends. Did did I miss anything? Do we need to hit on anything else? No, I, I agree with what you said about Brian Robinson. Um, he can wear a lot of hats, and um, whether it's running back, H-back, fullback, he can help yep. shoulder some of that load that's not going to be there from a tight end perspective. But, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, to receivers and tight ends, I think we covered it. Yeah, and also, I guess you always have to be uh, aware of defensive linemen playing in some of those short yardage sets, um, either lined up in the backfield or motioning out like we saw Deron Payne uh, in the in the Sugar Bowl against Clemson a couple of years ago before making a acrobatic catch by a 300-pounder status uh, standard anyway, right? Um, who are some guys? Maybe look, we, I think we've seen LeBron Ray in some, in some goal line sets, the defensive end. So short yardage goal line uh, – We've seen Alabama get creative with personnel, right? Yeah. I mean, Quinn Williams is, is one that had uh, – I do think we've seen LeBron Ray, so I anticipate him doing that as well. Um, I don't know if he'll, he'll get six foot seven Raekwon Davis to do it, but uh, I think a guy like DJ Dale could come in there. Yeah. We've seen the defensive tackles do that in the past. They're kind of the, the primary targets for them, and I think he and LeBron Ray could certainly make a good one-two punch at the fullback position. Well, there you go. The Built by Bama online podcast featuring the wide receiver and tight end positions this time around. Always great stuff with Bama online team insider beat reporter extraordinaire Charlie Potter. Charlie, enjoy this weekend coming up because uh, the bullets are real starting late next week. I'll try to, man. Good to get to talk to you again. There he goes, Charlie Potter. Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Also, keep up to date on everything Crimson Tide related right there at BamaOnline.com. That roundtable, that message board there, premium message board on BamaOnline.com, a great place to mix it up with fellow Crimson Tide fans. Until next time, Travis Ryer, wishing you well. 
Stay tuned for another Built by Bama online podcast in the very near future.